Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Uh, today in studio, we got Sujin Patel. Welcome, man. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, so, so your resume is quite impressive. I'm going to read off just some of the stuff. You were the owner of Mailshake, Right Inbox, Pick, uh, Walla Norbert, Web Profits, which is a big agency. Um, you have a wife, three kids, run like five plus companies. You're invested in what, like 10 plus more? Yeah. Um, you drive a bunch of sweet supercars and race motorcycles. Um, and honestly, for real, I sometimes ask myself who I'd want to be like. I don't have like a lot of role models that I necessarily want to be exactly like, but I always think like your life seems kind of ideal. Like no joke. <laughs> I've talked to some of my friends about that. Yeah. Thanks, man. I think you're like an undercover baller. Most people don't know. About. <laughs> That's a... Yeah. So um, how many companies or SaaS companies do you own? Uh, at the moment, I own five uh, five companies and we're in the middle of selling Vola Norbert. And we have another company in that portfolio. That's a competitor called Find Email. So those are one company. But yeah, so five, we're trying to get it down to three. <laughs> Does running that many companies suck or is it awesome? Oh yeah, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. On the, it's great on the way up. You're building and you're like, you know, hiring and it's a lot of fun. You do. I've been the longest company, Mailshake, is six years now. Shortest one is one year. That one year was like felt like five years because we bought it and then COVID hit and it was a business. Yeah, it's called Zoom Shift. It's called Zoom Shift and it's focused on SMBs. It's focused on SMBs and pretty much like brick and mortar retail hospitals. It was like revenue just tanked. Um, and so we got it back to break even, but it was like almost broke us. And do you have like a CEO of all these companies or are you the guy? No, it's it's me and my partner that do it. I don't, so, you know, there's guys like uh, Andrew Wilkinson from like Tiny and, yeah. and uh, I know like Jonathan Siegel from Xenon Ventures. There's a few folks, ScaleWorks. There's like a couple companies out there or a couple like micro PE or PE firms that, um, that do this where they have a CEO and... I look at the CEOs and I look at their success rate and I kind of silently judge them, but we're friends. We're all friends. And yeah. <laughs> I just say like our success rates higher mm-hmm. and, and that's cause like we're doing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think these size companies that we're running, there's somewhere between half million on the small end to maybe 10 million on the high end. Uh-huh. Um, they, they're pretty straightforward. Like you don't need a CEO. Like I don't know what they would do differently than what I would do in the fractional time I spend on it. And are all these companies along like the same vein? Like I believe a lot of them have to do with email, right? Yeah. Now. So like and Mailshake and Mailshake, Vola Norbert. So Mailshake is sending email. Vola Norbert is kind of identifying and, and building your prospect list. Uh, and then right in boxes, you know, it'd be yes, where Boomerang would be competitors to that. So that would be a kind of in your inbox, you know, email tracking, all that stuff. And yeah, so purely like coincidence that we're doing all things email. Like I don't think my partner and I, Bob, sent off, we've not ever said like, oh, we're going to get, let's double down an email, right? <laughs> um, so it's just, you know, we, we look at opportunities, companies we can grow. Um, that being said, I have been doubling down in sales tech and HR tech. Those are the two areas and sectors I actively look at buying companies. Sales tech, because we know it so well, because we have a lot of email companies now. Um, and really, I say sales tech because that's sales. It's like email is kind of between sales and marketing tech. And when you can get into sales tech, it's a way better multiple and way higher LTV because when you make money, like sale, if salespeople use it and they make money, they don't want to change their habits and move away. Mm. Marketing people like myself, 
we're pricks. The next shiny freaking object comes along. I'm going to go try that, right? Um, we have high expectations. We also have low dollars because we're the top of the funnel, not the bottom, not the revenue generation. So, um, and then HR tech is like, do you ever get rid of your payroll provider? I don't know what I use, but I don't want to really move. <laughs> yeah, I probably had like Quicken or something. Yeah, that just for like, like 17 years. Yeah, or something. And yeah. It, everybody hates it, probably, you know, but. But once it's set up, it works. Yeah, you just kind of do it. You pl- click the buttons and go. Damn, that's, that's, uh, I have to go think about that later. That's, that's yeah. a really interesting observation. Now, do you start all these tools yourself or do you buy them? So we started the whole process with, we, in 2015, we started companies. It, we started to narrow.io and Mailshake. And Mailshake is our biggest one. Um, so one, the one we started became the biggest one, but it took forever. Like it took two and a half years uh, of not making any money and only putting money out the door to get that to be making, generating money. And probably 2018 is when it started actually. I remember when you bought it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just. Or started know, it. Sorry. Started, yeah. So it was just like, a, it's just a grind to get it going. And during that time, I was like, fuck buying companies. Like this is just takes forever <laughs> to get them to product market fit. Right. I just, I'm not good at that. And maybe I'm not, not that I'm not good at that, but I think there's, there are people who are like love building from scratch. Mm-hmm. I love growing. Like I love when like an idea has kind of got some wheels, like some legs, I guess, and putting wheels on it, right? And and just kind of growing it from, you know, maybe a few thousand bucks to a few million bucks or 10, 20 million dollars, whatever. Um, so it's just, I like growth more than I like the, like getting an idea off the ground. And so we're, you know, to date, we've bought a lot of companies that are maybe... Uh, at least this is our thesis. They might not be in that space at that like bucket at the exact time we bought them, but companies that are in like fifth to tenth place in a in a category or in 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 a in a uh. in a space. So, so you buy like a tenth place person and they're not doing so well. The, the third CEO place. is probably like, I'll take a payout, mm-hmm. and then you apply your marketing knowledge, content marketing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. and then make them into first or third place or something. Third place, not first, not first and second. They're too expensive. Generally too exp- too hard because the funded companies kick my butt. Hmm. Like I can't compete, right? So like Mailshake, 83 players in the space, 83. When we started, it was like 30. And we didn't even intend to build in that 30 player, in that in that space. So we pivoted into this space. So first of all, different space we, than we intended. But yeah, 50 more people came through the door. So, I mean, it's getting easier to build SaaS, but our biggest competitor, Outreach, second biggest sales loft, they've got $100 million in their bank account like right now. They close more revenue a quarter than we do a year. And I just can't beat that because they've got way more engineers and whatever. But I do, doesn't mean there's not a way to win in that space, right? Mm-hmm. So I've got no funding. All of our companies, you know, we buy it with mostly our own capital or um, when we get outside capital, it's it's fairly friendly. Like we, the way we split it is very, very favorable for us because of our track record um, that like, we don't need to knock it out of the park to win. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Like the outcome that like these larger competitors will have will be, uh, they'll be in the billions if they succeed. But the difference is there's no if we succeed. There will be, it's, we are succeeding right now. My company is worth more than it was yesterday. It was, it's worth more than it was a year ago and five years ago. And I won't have this, Billion dollar exit, but I'll have a hundred percent ownership of it. 
Hmm. So liquidation of a startup at Series F is like you own, founders own like 15% max. Mm-hmm. And most, if you look at the math, most people who founded the company aren't actually the CEO of that company. So the founders have no control over the company they started by Series F. And you own 100% or you and your partner. Yeah. We have three partners between us. We own, well, we own like 95 and we have employee share. Do you, do you use investors to buy these companies or you just got a chunk of cash and you pop? Um, we did, we bought most of our companies with our own money. And then we started buying bigger companies with outside capital. Is that recommended or it's just at some point you need outside capital? Uh, it's just, I found that it's the same amount of work to grow a company as doing $100,000 a year as a million dollars a year as $10 million a year. Same difficulty, same amount of work for me. Um, different problems and harder at a hundred million, ten million dollars to go because you want to go bigger, right? Mm-hmm. But at ten million dollars, you have ten million dollars to spend in revenue to go spend and do whatever you want. Like if I gave you ten million dollars and I said you have to go build this company into a fifteen million dollar company or a twenty million dollar company, uh, I think you have enough, plausible. Yeah. I think you have enough capital to go do something, uh, and you have a team, and so it's not all on you. At a hundred thousand, it's all on you because you be, pretty much have just enough to go hire like one person. Uh-huh. That's offshore, and it's probably going to be a dev. <laughs> so, so speaking of teams, um, how do you run all these companies? Like, I'm sure, like they're relatively small, um, and so I'm sure there's like some employee that can like do one thing at one company at another company. Do you just have like a bunch of Indian dudes running things, or like what? Yeah. How do you? I'm just I'm, I'm the only Indian, dude the only outsource Indian. Guy. I'm the only I'm the only outsource Indian guy. We're actually in Hyderabad right now. This yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, so it's uh, a great question because I I think the. We use EOS as a framework uh, from this book called Traction by Gina Wickman, EOS Entrepreneurial Operating System. Huh. It's similar to like scaling up that a lot of like funded startups use. Uh, like pretty much it's a system, right? Uh, Rockabell Habits, I think like OKRs would be another one. Like Google uses OKRs. Um, pretty much you have goals. You have you have a goal. You have some. T- or you have a target. You have some goals that can help you achieve that target. And then you have... Like, like things you're going to do to get there, right? In EOS, it's called rocks. Uh, and every quarter you have rocks that you're trying to do, right? Um, like usually three to five. And even breaking down from that, each department might have like two or one. And then even that, like if somebody, if it's a larger company, you might have like three per department and each person or like sub team has, has, a, has a single goal. They're like, this is what I'm going to do. And I see how it rolls into the, the bigger kind of goal. Anyways, my point is, when you have like three things to do in a quarter that are like the big things that move the needle, you end up just kind of things get like alignment gets kind of there or it doesn't. Right. And if it doesn't, you like, put, but you have different employees for each of these, companies? each team, each company has a different team. We try the shared resources, kind of like a matrix organization. Uh-huh. It works really well. If all the companies are similar size, but our companies swing from the 10 million to 500,000. So like, Different budgets, right? Um, and so, yeah, no, different teams. And, and it, it worked better that way. Oh, uh, where we have shared resources, we do have one team that has shared resources, which is customer support. Mm. Um, and it's a single, well, it's a single team. Like we have dedicated like two people on Mailshake. We have one person that kind of shares between two other companies. And so um, we do have people that are split between two companies, but most are because they're smaller and like we want to hire a full-time person and- and oh. yeah, so it's still more split the load. But the great thing about this, even though you don't have the shared teams, 
you have the shared learnings. And that's very empower, very, very powerful and it saves us a lot of time. So let's put it this way. We try a, an idea and it doesn't work at ZoomShift, our smallest company. And we will never try to do that idea at any of our other companies because it didn't work. Like it, well, maybe it didn't work for like an out, outlier reason, but generally speaking, ideas don't work, generally won't work at another SaaS company in, you know, in B2B. So vice versa, we find some awesome channel that works really, really well, which happens more often than not. And boom, we double down. We can do it for every single company. We can go hard at it. And do you, do you even have an office anymore? In Austin, um, anywhere? I have an office. I have two offices. Like there are co-working spaces. Did you have one in like Sydney or Australia? So the Web Profits team has an office in Sydney and then LA. Okay. And that's and an agency. So that probably has very people heavy. Right? Yeah. Agency is all, it's all people, right? I think there's about like 90 something folks between LA, Singapore, uh, Sydney, and there's Melbourne. Like Australia is very regional focus. So there's a lot of like handshake deals happening there um, versus like, Obviously, United States, I don't know. I've never really shaken any of my clients' hands uh, <laughs> at even or any of our agencies, depending, unless they're like million dollar plus deals. But so, so in terms of like most of your business are SaaS or all of them, but except, but with the, except, except for the agency. Yeah. Why do you, do you think running an agency sucks? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I did it again. <laughs> so, started Single Grain. That was my first business, uh, well, like first successful business in 2008. 2009 or so. And then, and I was like, screw this. Five years in, I was like, I want to get the F out of here. 2014, sold it, walked away. Uh, to Eric Sue. To Eric Sue. He's grown it. He's actually done really well with it. Well, it was like, he took it over, it went down, and it went back up, like mm -hmm. way, way higher. Um, turns out I did a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> but like, you know, that was my first business. And that's kind of why I walked away from it. It was like, I'm just tired and, and sold it to, to him. But anyways, my point is, it's a great way to make money. I mean, it's a great way. It's a great business to not have a job. Like, so it's, if you can move away from your nine to five, consulting is a great, great way to get into running a business, but it's, you're selling time for money. And really what happens is that under about half a million dollars in revenue, or maybe like, let's just put it into client perspective or actually in, in maybe three to five clients, half million to 750 K a year, you have enormous profits, like 60, 70% margins. Mm -hmm. Because you only need like one person, two people to go help you with that, to service three to five clients. Mm -hmm. From that point to about $10 million in annual revenue, you need a ton of infrastructure and people and specialists and like systems and you know whatever that have a lot of cost before you can make more higher margins again. So your margins shrink and so if you're doing, if you're a $2 million agency, you're probably making more money at $500,000, $600,000 a year than $2 million because of the hard costs you have. It's a, yeah, because a lot of people are and like, why don't well. you start a copywriting agency? And I've actually tried that. And the problem is, um, so let's say I make something for you and you, I deliver it and you pay me $500,000 for it. Great. I made that money minus costs, but I don't get to participate in any upside you have at all. Yeah. So you go on to make a bunch of money with whatever we wrote you and I get nothing. So- Okay, fine. I got paid for the work. But then also, I feel like you, you have to keep getting those clients over and over and over. And let's say everyone's like, Neville's copywriting agency is amazing. It's in the front page of the New York Times, whatever. I get 100 new clients. That might actually kill the company. Yeah. Like the more, if you get a big inflow of money, now you have to have a ton of people and stuff, yeah. right? Have you seen that? That's Ex a huge exactly. problem. And so that's why you get a lot of agencies going like ebbs and flows of like growing, contracting, growing, contracting. They're generally going up in the right. 
generally or hoping to, but then you get COVID and you lose 90% of your revenue. I, I, I had a friend who worked for an agency here that's here downtown and 90% of the revenue came from a Dell contract. Yeah. And one day Dell switched. Yeah. And they laid off 90% of their workforce just like overnight. And it, the, you know, that's kind of, I would say, bad on the agency to have like so much dependency on one, you know, one yeah. contract. But I can tell you like, yeah, I've worked, I've had friends who've like had the Apple contract uh-huh. and they're huge. And they've, even though they built out the rest of their agency, it was like 30, 40% of the business. E- even that's a huge number, right? Like that's a lot of people yeah. to build on one singular point of failure. But if you get a lot of business, now you have to hire a lot of people. Yeah. If you lose a lot of business, now you have to unfortunately fire yeah. a lot of good people. And I think the, the, you know, the way to con- uh, to circumvent that is to keep growing, right? Mm. Keep growing, building the team out. Um, it's like a Ponzi scheme though. Yeah, it's like, just, it's a rat race. You end up in a different rat race than being an employee, right? I, I think it's a great business though. Don't get me wrong because at Single Grain, we tried and failed like eight other businesses. I don't know the exact number, but I think it was somewhere between eight and 11 that you would qualify as businesses. One of them worked and my partner... Spun, we, we spun off businesses. So he ended up like taking, not wanting to do consulting anymore and taking 100% ownership of that. And I got my, the rest of my company back and said, I'm just going to do this. And his business, I don't know, I think it was doing like six or $700,000 a year. Um, and it was a lot of JVs and like launching info products for um, bloggers and whatnot. So, and there was a lot of other like lead gen and affiliate companies that we launched out of single grain. Try to do a lot of software companies. All of them failed because we. Su- I sucked at pro. I sucked at SaaS. That's hilarious building. to hear you say because you. Well, that was so why I got <laughs> into. That's the path. I. That's the how I got to what I'm doing now. Is I. This was 09 to 2014. We work with Airbnb, few companies that got acquired by LinkedIn, Salesforce, um, a popular online glasses company that I can't name. I'm um, sure we have no idea who, yeah, it who is. they are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they'll ship you a, you know, a sample of glasses and whatever. Anyway. So like all these companies were like just random startups at this time. Right. Uh-huh. And all, uh, all the businesses and there's lots of e-commerce companies that we work with, um, you know, Shopify, we work with all of these companies in their series A series B timeframe. And what I found is the best companies were actually software companies. And so I was like, Huh, I'm just gonna go do that. And so I tried and failed at all these things, and it turned out like I'm really good at marketing, but I'm really bad at the rest of the things it takes to run a SaaS company. And so I sold it and I took a job at a company called When I Work, which is one of my clients. And I was like, I'm gonna go learn SaaS. I'm gonna park myself for five years and like go through an exit or whatever, get a paycheck, and learn how to run a SaaS company. That took about, I lasted two years, but Within six months, I started building Mailshake. <laughs> nice. So, okay. So you buy all these companies, you add your marketing genius. So I, one thing I've noticed with most of your companies, I believe that content marketing, SEO, that's kind of like a thing y'all do for most of them, right? Yeah. Like I know Mailshake just kind of kills it with content marketing on like the, the not necessarily, I don't, and you do a very good job at going after very specific keywords that move the needle, it seems. Uh, I don't, I think that looks like that, but it's not that way. No. Uh, I would say we get lucky. Uh, we got lucky with Mailshake, but I think most more often than not, uh, we try to build a brand using content. Um, oh, yeah, 
I think our, our, our conversion rate is pretty bad on it. But I mean, we also, when you go after like low intent keywords that have high volume, uh, like you're not going to, you shouldn't be getting. Yeah, I did some like spying before is like follow up email. And yeah. so I'm sure a lot of those people, because like Mailshake is like literally follow- about, yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's, there's not a lot of intent to purchase there. There are a lot, a lot of, so that builds up email, email software. Long, yeah. Long-term value. It brings us a lot of value, like a lot of indirect. So here's a funny, here's a like, okay. So to answer your question, content is a key part of our strategy, but that's actually channel number two. Channel number one is actually word of mouth. Oh. And so we actually, and no one really sees this or it's not, maybe it's not as obvious to tell either, right? Like you could see it traffic growing, but- But you can't track it. It's very, well, you can, you could see, okay, more traffic comes in, but most of our traffic at all of our companies comes from branded searches. All, what do you mean by branded searches? Like the company name. Oh, so like, like Mailshake follow-up email. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, just mail or Mailshake. Like the our brand has more search volume than all of the software keywords combined. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's fu- kind of funny. Um, whenever I look at certain companies and I kind of u- use my tools to like look at their traffic and everything, yeah. I'm like, wow, this, their Alexa rank is crazy high or low, which means high. Yeah. And I'm just like, damn, they're getting a lot of traffic. But then you look at their SEO and they actually have like almost no traffic. Yeah. And you're like, where's all this coming from? And you're like, yeah. oh, people are specifically searching them out. Yeah. That's exactly. probably the best place to be in. Exactly. And, you know, I look at like companies like Dropbox, right? They Their traffic grew like crazy, but what the heck are they ranking for? Like file sharing? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like that's not like a... Well, so so we changed the name of our company from copywriting course with Ks to copywriting course with Cs yeah. recently. And um, we did it during a time of uh, obviously this like big thing going on in the world right now. And also during the election. And um, the the wall, the, Google put a higher wall around transferring site traffic. Oh, wow. And so we got caught up in that a little bit. Oh, and so yeah. we've kind of fixed a couple. Also, we, we just screwed up a couple things, but we fixed them. And our, our traffic fell by 90%. Our search engine traffic. Yeah. Correct. Not direct traffic. Search engine traffic fell by 90%. Honestly, we like, we've made more money since. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, well, how valuable was that, a lot of that traffic? Yeah. It was cool as a vanity metric. Yeah. Well, sure. it still works though. So like, if you, if you look at our Google Analytics or Amplitude or whatever metric uh, analytics platform, it'll say that our blog doesn't do shit. Literally, it's meaningless numbers. If you look at our survey, when you, when you sign up, you have to ask, we ask you, where'd you, how'd you hear about us? Our blog, because we have our blog on there, our content, and we've sh- shifted the position up a lot, and that's like 40%. So like, yeah. Well, also, I think those big did. numbers, like we were getting between uh, around 10,000 average per day up to about 15,000 per day yeah. uh, site visits. So even if the conversion rate's low at those numbers, yeah. it's still significant. So our yeah. email drop, our email signups definitely dropped. Yeah. Um, but I overall, think it's long-term yeah. value though. It's the, the content so. is a great long-term value, building your email list, building your brand. But I think that we, I try to focus on the product and try to figure out how to make it unique. Um, and like a you know big problem to solve and i'm not saying that we're like winning at it but like chipping away at it helps a lot so that's what we kind of try to focus on um hard to do when there's like 50 or 83 players in the space like in Mailshake's case yeah have you seen have you noticed seo change in the recent years oh yeah drastically I feel, I feel like this year specifically, it, I think there's been a, like literally a tectonic shift yeah, change. It's, no it's gotten civi- significantly. So here's the three things I've seen it change. One is just way more 
advertisers. So they have, Google has just allowed way more ad blocks. You can't even see results above and the fold. Pay, so I did the math. Position one, so this is from my B2B SaaS. Position one right now is worth what position three was worth, it, it, it used to be worth. Wow. So that's a magnitude of difference. I don't know that it, it won't be relevant to share you the, share the click-through rates because that's really what the the number is, right? The click-through rate of like one, position one used to be around 35, 40%. Mm -hmm. I would say now it's around 25%. And, and if, so now if you're position eight, that's okay. 35 to 40% to 25, not the end of the world, but that's number one. If you're position eight, it's like 2%, 3%. Yeah, the end of page two. Yeah. Who the hell's even on that? Yeah, so page two has always been kind of worthless, right? Yeah. But like page one is now, the second half of page one is worthless. Now, the other part of that, so that's change number one. Number two is so many blog post ranking. And and this is, I predict, and it's not, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to predict this, but this isn't going to last forever. So there's all these blog posts of like top 10, blah, 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 right? Or whatever blog post on insert topic that's intent to purchase a software, right? So if you Google, um, if you Google like, Email, how to find an email or email finder, mm -hmm. right? Which is one of the keywords for Vala Norbert. There's all these blog posts ranking now on like email finding software. Mm -hmm. And we're listed on a lot of these too, obviously, but like they're ranking and now they're ranking better. And so that's so much blog content is ranking well to the point where I can write a blog content, blog post on anything and it will rank better than the, like the actual page that's more relevant and purposeful. So, so blog, Google favoring blogs versus commerce. And then the third thing is just the question boxes in yep. the- They're good. Yeah. Like as a consumer, I love them. Yeah. So, so it's like examples of whatever. And it's like, just shows me right yeah. there without ever having to leave Google. It's kind of right. nice. And then when you go back to Google, you end up seeing more relevant stuff to the stuff you clicked on. Yeah. Right. So what sucks about that is it's becoming more like Facebook, meaning your circle of influence determines your information you get, right? So like, if you're like- a super right-wing coronavirus is fake. I think that's right. -wing. Yeah. Like doesn't exist. All you're going to see is that yeah. on Facebook, right? Your friends are doing that. You're going to click on it. So you're going to see more of that news, but that's getting to Google. Now, if you accidentally click on a, a search result from a blog, a site that has a lot more crappy content or a lot more good content, the more you will see that more often in Google's in own the search. results. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know that. You go back from page, whatever, whatever search result you go to, Go back and it'll tell you more suggested searches or suggested articles. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice the like the the URLs around it change too. I mean, I know it does that forever for locales. So yeah. if you're in Austin and type in plumber, it'll, it won't show you Philadelphia plumbers. I'll show you. Right. Plumbers. But it's getting, it's getting way more personalized, but which is, which is a good thing too. Cause there's a lot of crap that's ruled out. Yeah. But I, I feel like they're, they've, they've passed this line of like, F you, I'm just going to make money. Right. Yeah. I almost feel like the fact that Google doesn't, I mean, I love Google. I use Google for everything. I pay them the most money, but at the same time, the search results are getting to the point where I'm confused by them and I'm on the internet for 12 hours a day. Yeah. And so when I type in like bank of America and it shows me an ad for chase, like I rely on it to show me the right site. So I click yeah. on it for my banking information and I'm just like, wait, now I have to like wade through a bunch of ads before I see it. That's, that is a little bit weird. And then they, they've kind of taken away the green ad box. Yeah. It used to be on the side and now you just kind of like, wait, which one's an ad? 
Yeah, and, and then like very subtle. Companies like now, Alibaba and China, like for years, they don't even mention that it's an ad. Yeah, they just put it as a result. Wow. So I don't know if we'll ever get to that totally. Yeah, but it doesn't seem that far off compared to what they're, they're doing now. So, um, so SEO has changed quite a bit. Um, do you place any importance on videos? Absolutely. Um, I like I love video. I would say it has like five to one impact than written content does in meaning it has five times as much in mind share. So oh. a content, a video content is worth five um, X mind share, like than a, a written piece of content. Wow. And the reason for that is partly because, and this is, this is my view partly because, well, people on freaking Snapchat, not so much anymore, TikTok, whatever, they're watching videos. That's their more common way of consuming. It always has been with TV, but with the transformation of the internet, well, there was no video, bef- as much video so before, so they Art. read stuff, right? Yeah. Um, you read like your favorite magazine or your favorite whatever blog, right? Or publication or your favorite newsletter or whatever, right? Now you just can watch videos on stuff, right? But it's so much better. If I'm looking up how to fix a pipe or something at my place. So much better. Yeah, I watch a video. I'm not going to like read an article. I know. Screw that. Exactly. So to the point where like you go to YouTube or you go to like, you try to find more video. Yeah. And so I think the mind share you have. And then the other part of this is like listening to your voice, reading, like you become more trustworthy, right? I've been watching a lot more Noah's stuff uh-huh. and it's good. I'm like, damn, I got to watch Noah's next video. Like, it's just like, I know I would never say that about his blog posts. Not that they weren't good. I would say his blog posts are just as good as his video. It's just every time I watch a video, it's just like I need Well, to... try to think about it like in the human machine. Like right now we're communicating with video, yeah. right? I'm looking at you. I can see you. I have audio. That's how we transmit information. Yeah. Whereas text, um, you if you show a video of like a, a sad person to some African tribe that's never spoken English or seen anyone else, they'll know that, oh, that's a sad person. Yeah. But if you show them like, this person is sad in English, they'd be like, what? Well, I, I don't know what that yeah. means. Everyone yeah. can see visuals. and I Like think a baby have, can understand it. Yeah. And you get the emotional connection a lot more, right? Um, so you get that. And, and think audios also level up between content, right? above content. But I, I think content is still the best way to get discovery because of uh-huh. because of Google, right? Because... It's so easy. At at some point, that will change. Um, but by that time, the people who have dominant content can create video. It's very easy. Yeah, I mean, I I'm a big fan of making everything all of the above. Yeah. Right. So if you make a blog post, you can now read it out. Now it's a video. Yeah. And if you have images inside of that blog post, well, you can put them in the video. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of doing that. But there is something magical about video versus yeah. yeah. Like you remember a video, you rarely remember an article. Yeah. I remember certain articles like from like, wait, but why? Yeah. Like some like really good pieces. Yeah. They're just masterful. But then I remember almost every video. Because the people are still like, they're still stuck to like the person who like, it's an individual who like provides that information to you, right? Like you go to X for the news. You go to like, I go to whatever to, you know, I go on Slack to communicate with my employees. Like I use this one thing to go to do, to talk to these folks. I think people are still anchored to the like the the old older. There's so there's X for Y. What importance do you place on social media? I think it's a mag, uh, it's the megaphone for your, the brand, the content, what have you. Um, but I'm, I I I think it's very very indirect value, very little to no direct value, right? Uh-huh. Um, but 
with the right content. I think it's great when you have a good mix of content and a, a marketing strategy. So it's a great way to amplify stuff, right? So take your best content, split it up into videos, bite-sized videos, bite-sized slides, right? Like LinkedIn has heavily has been becoming more and more of a social network than the job board and and they've promoted their internal products the most, right? They're copying a lot of features, but they have the newsletter. The newsletter, LinkedIn's a newsletter, which is a new thing, is becoming the thing that they promote the most. I remember writing blog posts on LinkedIn. It was called LinkedIn Pulse. I don't know if it's still called yeah. that. But like, I would write the same blog post I write on my own site, and this thing would get like 10,000 views. At the time. At the time. It pushed, like so. But that being said, once you build up your audience, when you use social networks, you build up an audience. Once you build up that audience over time, which is really consistency, getting into the platform early and spending, you know, I don't know, just sharing good content and engaging if you can, you end up building an audience there. You you minimize the reliance on Google over time and you get people coming directly from there. And you, you again, it's that spear or like uh, circle of influence, right? Um, People get, especially on LinkedIn, you get tagged into stuff and and then just kind of gives you more and more exposure. So Mailshake sells to salespeople. Salespeople hang up mostly on LinkedIn. We need to be there or else we're not going to be on the best community for salespeople. Now, are you posting stuff on LinkedIn? So social media is inherently social, meaning like yeah. there's a person, there's a sujin attached yeah. to it. Or do you have like a Mailshake account, like a Mailshake logo? Both. The, both. the brand doesn't nearly do as well as the, as the person. Because it's a brand. It's yeah. like a person. Right, my 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 profile will get way more, but part of that is also that um, I've been active for much longer, right? Well, Pep Laja said that about Conversion XL. Yeah, they have some Conversion XL Twitter that no one in history reads, yeah. but Peps, a lot of people, everyone, re- yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's because Pep is Conversion XL. Conversion XL is not Pep. Well, like I don't follow. Like, look, I love Apple. Yeah. But I don't follow any of their shit. <laughs> like, uh, I gotta follow. I must watch their how it's made video. Yeah, it's like they pop up on YouTube and stuff. But I don't like really follow Apple. Yeah. Like, I don't want to hear their updates on Twitter and stuff necessarily. Yeah. But I love Apple. Like, I, I loved Steve Jobs. Yeah. Uh, it's the influencer, not the not always the brand. I, I think both, right? There's there's some people that brand just connects, right? I think the brand connects on the product, right? Like, I know. Well, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I was gonna say Pep's example, but I'm like, well. I go to Pep's conferences and, you know, I'll buy stuff from him because I know he's behind it. I, I will say, though, now that I'm thinking about it, I do follow a couple of brands on Twitter and LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. And it's the softwares that I use the most. Yeah. And whenever they put out, they're like, hey, in our uh, version 4.5, we came up with this feature. I'm like, I want to use that feature right away. Yeah. So I do follow them for that. But, but once you get to that point that I think brands, let's put it this way. Brands is good for post conversion yeah. and like community and engagement after you're familiar with the brand. People are much better. The influencer is much better for pre like discovery phase of, of things. Um, because you, again, you follow people, you trust people more than you do whatever a brand. Okay. So, uh, okay. So we talked about video, social media content, all that kind of stuff, but still, I think like the big daddy of them all is still email. Yeah. I mean, if uh, I don't know how I'd make money without an email list, I'm not sure that I really could. That's true. Um, and a lot of the companies I'm invested in, their email list is the star of the show. That's the star of the show. Or their business, right? Uh, I mean, that's how they make all their money yeah. through emails. It, it's kind of it's kind of wild. And of course, I'm in a little bit of a bubble, but yeah. that's fine. But um, 
why are emails still so powerful? It just it still seems to be the backbone of like every company. Because that's the thing people do the most, right? So if you look at how much time people spend on on the internet, right? Or on any, like the average blue collar or I guess white collar um, employee or person who uses a computer, they spend a significant, I would, I'd say, I'd argue with the most significant amount of time on email, hmm. responding to people, um, emailing out people, communicating with their team, what have you. So that has just the most mind share. It, it, it's like you Google something, but like in your email, you just happen to see it, right? Uh, but that being said, as the workflows, as, as like things like Slack and Microsoft Teams become more prevalent, it'll shift more towards that to where like now my email, I only check email a couple times a day because I know it's not anyone from my team. My team won't email me. They'll slack me. Mm. If I get an email from my team, it's like, it's either an HR reason. <laughs> um, I miss their Slack information and they know I'm out of town or something like that. Or it's like, I need to sign something that, you know, needs to be in an email. I honestly think, uh, I remember a lot of marketers were really pissed about the promotions tab and stuff in Gmail. Yeah. But dude, that is the only way I can operate. Yeah, it's so much they're like I get so many notifications. Look, Express is having a sale for twenty five percent off, and I'm like, I I don't have time for this. Yeah, it's so much annoying, and it just automatically sorts it for me. It's amazing. So now email is like actually even more important or or usable because of all that stuff. Um, now you obviously run a company called a pretty big company called Mailshake. Um, that it's basically like how do you even explain like a sales autoresponder kind of yeah like so a follow -up you can build program? like a sales sequence so you can send like a automated follow-up based off of if they open this then like follow up with the, this email if they don't open you can wait drip them and we recommend so many salespeople to mailshake for their cold emails so we'll help them write a cold email specific for them and then upload it to mailshake for them have you seen cold outreach cold emails kind of change or anything over the years or what do you notice there um no i think they've still been around uh, what people say, how people should structure them. I think my recommendations have still been fairly similar, right? Which the general principle is keep it short, provide value mm -hmm. um, and follow up with value, right? Um, and, and make it have a clear call to action. So like almost, yeah, I think I, I use the, I, I got a lot of this stuff, by the way, when we started Mailshake from your copywriting course. Yeah, um, we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, and it's just great. Like we use the, you know, um, Ada. And yeah, Ada. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Ada, the Ada model where attention, interest, um, was it? Desire. Desire. And, um, but, but the big thing is like email is like writing ad copy. It's like writing any type of copy. Keep it short. Keep it like very clear to the point, scannable. I think when you think about value, um, the value is not like, hey, how can my XYZ company help you? It's more the other way around. How can I, as the person I'm being sold to, get any value from you? Like, what is the value you're providing? Are you say, are you solving a problem of mine that I don't know exists yet? What What is it, right? And and kind of figure that out. Um, so, I think this. I think templates are great for exactly that, right? You come up, you start with a template, and then you can modify it to stick within that mold. Um, but I think the biggest failure in cold email is the people are just, most people just ramble on for a while. It's not very clear what they want. There's too many questions. Like they give me an assignment rather yeah, than like, help. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then, or they ask for something stupid. Like, can we get a cup of coffee tomorrow? Or like jump on a call. Right. I'm like, 
15 minutes of my time is the most expensive thing you're asking for. So I always tell people, because um, we do a lot of campaign reviews and feedback, I always tell people like, keep your ask, the lower the friction the ask, the more likely you're going to get a yes, or at least you're not going to get a no. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get them to engage, right? Again, you don't ask someone to marry you before you go on a date. Mm-hmm. Try to, A cold email should be get that first date, yeah. right? You, It's like meeting a woman at the bar and try to get their phone number. That's what a cold email is. Nice. Or go to India and just get arranged marriage. There, there you yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> that's what a bad cold email would be, like, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Well, so it, it's kind of one more note on that. Um, <clears throat> Eamon, who's actually going to be in here next week, uh, CEO of AppSumo, he has the greatest cold email pitch I've ever seen. They obviously like uh, pitch software companies to put on AppSumo platform. Yeah. And he goes, hey, we have 750,000 people that you want to use their name service in yeah, and then it dash Amen, yeah. and like it works all the time, all the, yeah. and that's a that's a social proof. Like seven hundred fifty thousand power users. Uh, hell yeah, I want to be in on yeah. this. Yeah, of course, exactly. AppSumo is a powerhouse of like, um, of of folks. So like, if if what do people want? Seven hundred fifty thousand, seven hundred fifty customers, seven hundred fifty thousand hostile customers who have bought software in the past. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course, great, exactly. great. It's amazing. Um. Let's talk about, uh, so like blogging. So sujanpatel.com generates like over a million a year in revenue. Is that right? Yep. And yep. it's like this, I don't think this is a site you like put a lot of effort into. I put the least effort into it and it's, I feel so bad. Where, um, where does that revenue come from? How do you make a million bucks on a blog that you don't pay a lot of attention to? Uh, it comes from, well, how I generate revenue from it is consulting clients. Um, so it's a million dollars in revenue in, in consulting clients from that. Like, so revenue that you're doing, like you're hopping on a call or your agency for, or something. For white profits, yeah. Okay. So people are like, hey, Sajjan, I've seen you talk on the internet. You seem really smart. Yeah. How does my company go from 500,000 to a million? Exactly. And they... Yeah. So we get, I don't know, somewhere between 20 to 50 leads a month and, yeah. you know, we close X amount of them, what have you. Now, keep in mind, our average retainer is about like 100K a year. So we only need 10 deals a year. So that's about less than one a month that usually we close one, more than one a month from that, but it's less than one a month that we need to make at least a million bucks. This is kind of the model that Neil Patel does also, right? Yeah. Like he would have his big blog, period. like, how does he even make money? He doesn't sell anything. It's like, yeah. oh, the, the leads go to single grain or whoever it was. Yeah, whatever. exactly. Um, if you were a newbie on the internet, would you start a blog today or like just an Instagram or a Twitter? Uh, blog for sure. Own it. Because own, you own it. Own it, yeah. You, you, have to, you own the asset. Own the website. But you'd also have the Twitter and the Instagram. Yeah, do all the same stuff. Or you just but, put all that crap but, there. So, like, I would make the website, the core, and then the Instagram and Twitter or whatever other social profiles, um, reflections or, like, micro versions of the blog, right? So, like, I think Eric Sue does a really good job of this. So, he's got single grain. He's got this, you know, leveling up. He's got a lot of content on this own content. On the social networks, he'll post, like, Instagram bite-sized slides where he'll be like 10, like how to do 10 things, whatever, right? And there'll be, sli- it'll be 11, 11 images that you swipe through, right? So that kind of stuff. That is geared towards specifically Instagram. Uh, it, don't, it won't work the same on Twitter, mm-hmm. right? On Twitter, you want probably 10 different tweets with one image, but like more context in the text, right? So, but it's all one blog post, right? So here's the part about what I love about social media and like why I like creating the content. The the creative genius can create the idea. That should, you should own that. Any dummy can take that and turn it into social media mm-hmm. related outlets, right? 
um, it's very straightforward and and each channel needs its own kind of version of it, right? So I always like to own it because guess what? It will, every single, so I've learned about marketing from doing this for 17 years now, everything dies. Every great idea becomes a crappy idea, stops working and then becomes the spam idea, right? Um, it's like and, a Facebook group is awesome when they're starting it. Yeah. And now like, yeah, you don't really get yeah. much reach. Right. Um, Facebook TV, Facebook, I don't know, you just like reels, Instagram reels, right? Awesome, right? Because it's trying to compete with TikTok. Well, guess what? In like two more years, it'll something else Jig is pick up, up that, that. Instagram shopping is amazing, right? I remember um, two, three years ago, I would tell folks, and we had the best results uh, for B2B SaaS doing Instagram ads. So obviously mobile only, right? Um, but the reason for that, and Instagram story ads were the freaking dirt cheap, best CPA and best CAC. I could get customers for under $100 that on Google would cost me about 800 bucks. So eighth, one eighth the price because the CPCs were low and it's stories where people were flocking towards. And um, that's like so in your face ad, right? You like, okay, Google ad and the search results, it's prevalent, but there's some value there. On Instagram, the ad is just in your face. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can't tell, right, between an ad and a real. Yeah. And that's the, I find those to be the best ads because that's an advertiser or a brand um, molding to the content, uh, the, 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 the medium, not the other way around, right? Like if you are advertising a Toyota Prius on TV, yeah, do your little crappy video of somebody driving a Toyota Prius. <laughs> But on Instagram, it should just be like a mom driving a kid around and, and, and if you're targeting at moms, right? So so whenever you see a new platform, like something like TikTok, which is obviously getting really big right now at this moment in history, do you say to all your companies, like, oh, we should start a TikTok account and start putting stuff on there? Like, how do you think about that? I'm pretty much like a late, I'm like in the adoption scale. I'm not the like super early adopter. I'm the one right after that. So you let the 16 year olds figure it out. And then you jump in when the marketers. Yeah, because I've done, I've I've spent a lot of time on, um, what's that company? Uh, did Pinterest that was really well worked really really well for a while, and it worked really well because of SEO traffic, not because of freaking Pinterest. Oh, it would rank really easily, and you can just, pop, it'd be more secondary SEO. Um, what's the one uh, Periscope that got acquired mm. by Twitter, right? Vine, what happened to all the Vine influencers? Yeah, they're now on TikTok, tw you know, 10 years later, but whatever, like that platform died. So I'm not usually jumping in on platforms super early. Mm -hmm. It definitely works if you've got a lot of content, if you've got um, like, I just always try to focus, and this is how I'm able to run multiple companies, kind of going back to the first question you asked me, is that I don't waste my time on stuff that doesn't move the needle, right? And sure, it's an opportunity, but like, I only look at the four or five things I can do to move the knee, move the mountain and not like throw rocks around. Nice. Let's talk about uh, making a million dollars. Everyone's favorite um, thing. Um, besides just waiting for the Fed to print a bunch of money, then we all become millionaires, uh, even though we're poor. Um, let's say Sujan Patel goes broke. You need to make a million bucks in the next year or two. What would you do? Start a SaaS, sell a product, start an agency. What would you do? Um, I would start a consulting business again, an agency. Oh, interesting. Uh, I would keep it very small, boutique. Um, I would try to focus on getting three, four clients that would pay me $10,000, $20,000 a month. And like, what are you doing for that $20,000 a month? Are you Marketing and what? growth for them. Like, what does that mean? Emails, so, web pages, what? 
like how to get the customers. So I think what I figured out, what I'm really good at is, what I'm really good at is getting customers. Uh -huh. And what that turns into is, okay, you need traffic, you need a brand, you need, you need to figure out the messaging. There's a lot of things, right? Demand generation really comes down to it, right? So I, I'll either help large companies figure out how to be doing more savvy growth initiatives um, that some of the smaller startups or, you know, large, smaller companies have been doing or work with maybe series A, series B companies as maybe an interim CMO or part-time CMO um, or just kind of build up the growth department. Uh, it's a good temp job that you know you're getting out, out of. Um, and what I would do is just build my team out. So like, hey, I'm going to be here for a year, two years. So enter on your terms, leave on your terms, right? Hmm. Um, well, when you enter, leave on your terms, set the date. So you're like not guessing when you're going to let that, when the client's going to let you go so that you know when your pipeline is full and what you need, when you need to get more customers. Anyways, I would do that, but that's not how I would make money. That's how I would generate revenue so I can funnel into something I actually can generate a million bucks. And that would not be SaaS. Uh, I would not start something because SaaS, and you said, did you say a year or is that just time? Frame? Year to rough time frame. Yeah, it start. just wouldn't be fast enough. Um, it's just hard to build SaaS without lots of money because you need customers, right? Um, I also don't think I have a skill set to go build something so innovative um, that I could launch out the gate to get a million bucks by the end of year one or year two, mm -hmm. right? Not to mention, it takes time to go build something, right? Mm. Um, I'm sure I could get that to maybe 500K, but not a million, right? Or And, and a cheat would be, I can get my agency 500K and my SaaS to 500K, um, but I would actually just go promote other people's products that I would I really back. And I would give them, I would get a ownership of the company. I'll do what I call the 50 cent move, right? I think it was uh, vitamin water mm -hmm. that he owned yeah. a portion of. He made so much money off that deal when they sold to Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. right? He made a lot of, he made most of his fortune early on, I believe, with that deal. Yeah. Um, I think you, uh, maybe I'm just saying this because it's 50 cent. I think he made $50 million on that deal, but I don't know exactly. I know they sold it for like $400 million. Yeah, yeah. Cause I don't know how much he owned, but yeah. He owned more than 10%. But I think that's most people like, uh, so with most of the rich people in your life, I think they make most of their money on like a few things, mm -hmm. maybe like one or two things. I think even Shaquille O'Neal, like he early on invested in Google. Yeah. And that's paid off probably more than all his earnings combined. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's interesting. It's like a 90, 10 rule or something yeah. like Magic that. Johnson owns a lot of fat burgers. Like the little chain? Yeah. Oh, interesting. And he makes a lot of money doing that. Right. So, um, like after he was done playing basketball, right? Yeah. And like after he's done like being in the NBA related to anything, right? So my point is I'd actually go, instead of building something, I'd actually go back a product I really love. Hmm. Um, I'd go maybe make a, a Sujin branded product version, you know, uh, whatever, like, um, or just promote the heck out of that thing, right? And and again, say get equity in it. And the reason for that is it's they, if there's a product that's working, let's just say this hypothetical company was Salesforce. I know Salesforce has a, has a business model that can make a million bucks that, that I could say I need to drive X amount of visitors to get to that Y amount of leads to get to Z amount of revenue, right? Um, that's way easier than building that and then trying to figure all that out, right? So again, if the time crunch was there, that's, I don't think that's a long, that's not the best long-term value. I think ultimately building something of your own, whether it's e-commerce, um, uh, SaaS, whatever, owning an email list and monetizing mm -hmm. it that way 
whatever, is the long term how you generate wealth. But I think the shortest way to get to a million bucks a year or a million bucks would be through promoting someone else's product and getting equity or revenue share. Interesting. Yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, successful like course creators that still sell like a standard course, but to larger companies. And it's just like how to use Excel. Yeah. Like how to use the basics of Excel. I'm just like this, this, this is not innovative at all, but it's like, oh yeah, every company ever uses Excel. Yeah. And their co- employees sometimes don't know how. Yeah. They buy and lots of licenses of these. I can't tell you how many like Excel widgets and templates and crap I've bought to save me time. Like, yeah. I probably spent like, I don't know, a thousand bucks on on Excel templates in the last 24 months. Um, I know a guy named Ben Collins um, who runs like a Collins Institute. He, he had benlcollins.com or something like that. And he just does uh, Google spreadsheets. That's all he does. And he's like the king of that. Yeah. And all these companies will buy his training. Um, and he's like real, like a, a good teacher about it. And then he also sells templates. And he's built a whole company based off of just uh, spreadsheets. Like yeah. Google I spreadsheets. mean, that, I believe Excel is the competitor to every single software company. <laughs> yeah. Right? Before there's a CRM, you're freaking put, you're using some sort of spreadsheet, Excel interface on a database on the back end, right? Something. And it was shitty. And it's hard to find stuff. And they made a UI on Good top Good UI, of, yeah. Yeah. On top of a database, probably this could have been the same one. And, and boom. But yeah, Excel, like at Zoom Shift, that's a HR, so scheduling software, people work a barista, right? When they have to show up for work, right? Um, companies like that, even hospitals, doctors, call centers, all these types of companies have hourly workers. Mm. The biggest competitor we have is not the, I don't know, 20 other competitors in the space. I think it's 32 competitors in the space. It's freaking Microsoft Excel. It's pen and paper. <laughs> Literally 90% of new customers that come through the door. And I'm not just saying this because of our company. I actually work for one of the competitors that was is the largest company in the space. And they get 30,000 new trials a month. Same freaking deal. Most people are switching over from nothing. So spreadsheets and Excel is their thing to the point where a template is actually the best funnel to get them into purchasing our software. Huh. So we get them to use a branded template that we designed that's actually good. We make it we make it importable to our software, meaning you can upload it and it'll work. Like our software then just be set up. So it's one click pretty much upsell to our software essentially or upload. Um, and then just get them to use a template. And I think Airtable does that. Yeah. Airtable just made like a prettier Google Doc. Yeah. Or, or uh, Excel. Google and budget, yeah. and it, it completely works. Yeah. And then they have this referral program, right? Of whatever, I don't know, $10 for whatever, which is smart. Like if Airtable is actually pulling that off in a, I doubt the CAC is actually good mm-hmm. for a paying customer, but they're so well-funded. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like they just need market. Well, care. I did some research into them a while ago for a, a hustle trends kind of thing. When it was called hustle jobs, we were looking at, I was like, Airtable, what is this? And it was like Tesla was using them in their like Fremont factory. Yeah. It's like a, a glorified, it's literally a prettier Excel sheet. Yeah. That's all it is. And it can track so much more stuff. It, it's pretty. Interesting. And you can build a lot more forms. It, it's just more functional. Yeah. Okay. So th- that's an interesting way that you would make, I thought you were just going to say you would build a software product for some reason. Yeah. That's what I thought. It's too hard. It takes too long. What about, it sounds like you have gone to like the next level. Like I feel like there's a lot of people like in the little marketing world, they start off with SEO, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I feel like you've gone to like the step above that. I, I don't know how to describe it. Um, yeah. I think that wasn't like, 
thing. Well, thank you. That, that, that is actually what I've been intending to do all these years. Yeah. So I start off as like a peon link builder, SEO, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, got to the top of SEO. Not in the like, I, not the, not the, like I'm the best SEO, but I'm like, I went to become an SEO manager. And the next level up was like, I don't know, a director. And the next level up was like, I don't know, senior director. But like there was no VP of SEO. That was not a thing. Yeah. It was marketing. So I was like, oh, I need to go broad. I need to get breath. Good thing is SEO is fucking hard. And you really have to just do all things marketing to do SEO nowadays. And over time, I learned all the other parts of, SEO, of marketing to be able to do that. And so um, now like marketing has a cap too. Like what am I going to be the CMO or something? Actually, um, interviewed for a job at Wells, not Wells Fargo, um, some bank, Union Bank, I think it's called Union Bank in LA. And the CMO was making, I don't know, like $300,000, $350,000 maybe with like another $100K they could make. So I'm like, that's it? That's all a salary? That's, <laughs> that's, that's it? Like, and I have no degree. So like, there's unlikely I'm going to get that job at a financial institute to have no degree. It's just, I don't, they don't, they're not going to, this was like 2010 or nine. There's just no way I'm going to get that job. First of all, even though they poach me, they try to they approach me. Say, I'm not going to make it against their MBA. Can't my people, uh, the other people that are interviewing for the job, and I'm like, there's just no way. So I'm like, what? Where can I go to make my ceiling better? Right? And I was like, I'm. I come from a very like you know middle class, lower middle class Indian family, uh, from India. You know, so my I never thought I never dreamed or dreamt big enough. So that was kind of like, that's kind of my, my problem. I would say I want to, I've been trying to like solve that or like try to think big, but achievable. Not like I want to go to space tomorrow. It's just not going to happen. Right. <laughs> not that, not that stupid, I guess. But anyways, my point is, um, so I just kept thinking of like, how can I raise my ceiling? And so I was like, oh, I'm the marketing head. Okay. That's only going to get me so far. I run an agency. Okay. I can do this same thing for multiple people and charge them all what I'm getting paid as an agency. And I was like, oh, the agency is great, but like, look, what if I just did what my one of my clients is doing? It's a software company. And so I was just like, well, I could do like five software companies. I can do this same thing. I know how to do it. If I just build the team, I just do it five times over. And so I'm trying to get bigger and bigger and just kind of, I guess, really more of a bottoms up approach. Hmm. Um, I don't have a problem is I don't have like a, I want to do this and that and achieve why, you know? Mm-hmm. Partly because, I don't know, I just, I've already kind of got everything I want and need. Like everything else is just like icing on the cake. How many McLarens do you need, bro? <laughs> you, you already have enough like cool supercars. Although I do, I could use one one more. There's this joke, I like there's this meme of like, uh, that I, I find hilarious, but it's completely demeaning to employees. It's like a guy talking to an employee, like, hey, if, if you work a little harder this year, I can buy another one of these cars. <laughs> What do you think a lot of people like going to that next level? Is it just like a, is it, is it usually like a, like a, or is it just like a slow? I think it's, it's, it's slow. And then what people don't account for is the plateaus. So Mm -hmm. I plateaued many, many times, I think. And I've like actually interviewed or, um, and like really did a lot of research talking to other successful folks and like, Hey, like walk me through your career. Like when was it just like all growth, not about their wealth, but about their growth personally. And everybody has a plateau. Right. And so I just try to be, I think simple thing is I try to be the dumbest person in the room or be around people who have skills, right. Or talents or something like special about them. Like for you, I think I always, 
I'm always gravitating towards you because you're freaking always happy. Being around you makes me happier <laughs> and like scrappier, right? And I don't know that that's how you would think of yourself or I wouldn't describe you that way, but that's how just hanging out and grabbing coffee or a drink with you leaves me at the end of that oh, thank you. session. So it's like, if I can go, if I want to go make more money, how do I go hang out with like more people who can get me more money minded, right? Um, so I just try to hang out with folks that are smarter than me. Well, and... That's always been, a, I think it's always been a problem of mine. I grew up in a pretty loving household. Yeah. Like, I realized like later, you know, when you grow older, you realize like, damn, I had a good childhood compared to everyone yeah. else. And so I'm very content in life. Yeah. But that's actually a little bit of a dangerous place to be in sometimes yeah. because I'm like, my life's pretty good. I don't need to go anywhere else. Yeah. And so um, I have a lot of friends that are a little bit crazier than me. And I, I mean, it in an endearing way, like Sam Parr and Noah, yeah. some of my best friends in the world. And they're, they're just far more neurotic. I don't yeah. know how else to put it, but they just, they worry more. Yeah. They're worried. They, 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 they're a little bit more curious because, and it comes from a place of, I don't know, maybe fear or like not feeling good enough or something like that. Or just like, or just like curiosity right or like let's just try it and see what happens well like noah's like we always joke he's just a neurotic jew and, and it's just how he is and and here's the thing it's, people associate that with a bad thing but that also means that he's going to be extraordinarily successful yeah because he is willing to just just hammer 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 mm -hmm. someone like me is like oh i'm pretty good yeah fine so i have to hang around people like that yeah and ironically i'm almost like their pet therapy dog <laughs> uh, someone actually once said that uh we were at HustleCon. And um, the CEO, Adam, was just like, uh, he was like, Neville, dude, whenever Sam hangs around you, like he's calm. And when you leave, he's like really neurotic. That's he's like, hilarious. I don't mean this in a bad way. You're kind of like a therapy dog. That's hilarious. <laughs> I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm more happy than you're sad. deaf. And, yeah. and that's, I find it doesn't have to be that way. I find when you be, when you, when you are trying to grow something big or do something, solve a big problem, like I can tell you Elon Musk is probably the most stressed out fucking person in the world. He's got so many companies trying to go to Mars, right? Like mm. that's a big freaking problem. And for like in a feasible amount of money and charge money for it at some point, right? And colonize it and you know, all this crazy stuff. But like versus me, I'm like way more happy. Like, this might be a weird question. Is, what do you see of someone like me going to the next level? What's the prevent, what's the prevention? Or what, what do you see through the block? I think, um, I think you have to keep pushing yourself to like learn new skills or do, do more things. I think before we jumped on this, we were talking about, you know, uh, Bitcoin and, and alternative kind of, I guess, like coins. I don't know. Um, but, um, yeah, like it's just curiosity, you know, pushing yourself and kind of getting past that hump again, doesn't necessarily going to mean it's going to make you happier. It probably will make you more, it'll make you less happy. Yeah. So I don't know. I always find that entrepreneurship is a really funny one because you work your ass off to make a lot of money so you could do... And the punchline is you die. Hang out. And then, you just die in a few years. Yeah. But like you could have done that by being a bum, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. People have to kind of find their why or whatever. And I don't even know my why. I, I'll be honest. I just go in a room with smart people and ask them what their why is. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I want to do that. Yeah. Like, that sounds cool. I want to do that, right? Like, uh, I, I just literally like I absorb the energy of the room, or like I learn from others really, really well. I don't. I'm not one who's like, I want to climb Mount Everest because that's been my childhood dream. But like, I hung out with an entrepreneur who's like who climbed Mount, Mount Everest. I'm like, well, that guy can do it. I can do it. Then I literally thought of that. That I was like, I I, I can do that. 
I just like hanging out with people that are like super neurotic to a degree because I feel like I learn everything from every yeah. part of the spectrum. I like the people that are just like crazy and have to just work, 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 yeah. work, work. And then there's the people that are the Rasta guy on the beach. It's just like, whatever, man, just yeah. chill and enjoy your life. And I'm like, I'm not that chill. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, not that, that driven though. Yeah. I think I'm somewhere in that little sweet spot over there, which honestly- Wasn't well, that bad? Pretty- pretty good to pretty, me yeah like i don't know i want to have a good time in life and then at 85 i'm gonna kill myself so that's you know you know that's my thing november 17 2067 there you go yeah i'm done man you're invited to the party all right uh, so let's quickly talk about uh life stuff you're kind of a you're kind of a baller you drive all these cool things and uh you always have like the newest coolest latest dumbest car in the world and then you drive like super bikes and stuff on the track all the time um how come how come you've never gone like full ty lopez and just started bragging about that stuff more um I think it's just douchey. <laughs> yeah, we were just making fun of my VP of marketing at Mail Shake, and I was just making fun of Ty Lopez this morning about like this, like, you know, I mean, it works. I'm sure he's a great guy. Yeah. But I just feel like it's douchey. I'm not knocking Ty Lopez, by the way. It just. No, I mean, I am. Like, okay. <laughs> it's just douchey. Like, cool. If you want to be doing that, that's great, right? Like, so Ty Lopez versus Gary V. Mm -hmm. Gary V is sharing content. Like you could argue they're both douchey and they're both neurotic. Like they have the same, very similar criteria when you look at it from the outside perspective. But Gary V leads with value, mm. and Ty Lopez leads with this dream that you could have a Lamborghini and a garage full of books. I don't know. I like to keep my books in my office, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or on my Kindle or whatever. So I don't know. I just don't like bragging about stuff. And honestly, I do do share stuff on social media and whatnot. But like. After a while, it gets old, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the other part of this is like, I have to be, I try to be aware of like, um, I don't try to, I don't like cars or motorcycles because it's an amazing car. Obviously they look amazing. They're like great to drive, whatever. I like doing it for the function of driving and going 120 or 50 miles, 170 miles an hour, right? Mm -hmm. That is fun to me. The bike gets me there. I like the newest and latest bike because it got, a little faster, I got this bell and whistle on like some other thing that like I've been working on or whatever. But what I really like about cars is that I can go really fast in them mm. and I can drive them. And I like driving cars, but I like talking about cars. So so also on the life thing, so how do you juggle the dad thing? Like you have a wife and three kids and, and then you also run like five companies and invested in a billion and you create content and videos yeah. and have time to do all this kind of stuff. Um, how do you How do you juggle all that? Well, I think it's like if you add, if you say that in a paragraph, it sounds like a lot of stuff, right? But it didn't come that way, right? It so, does sound like a lot of stuff. <laughs> it, I mean, it is a lot of stuff. But I don't know. Uh, sometimes I'm like, how the heck did I get stuff done, right? So first of all, um, it stacks up over time, right? So like I was a single guy doing work, and I was married, and then I figured that out, and then we had a long time before kids, and I built a bunch of businesses, and failed a bunch of times, and a a lot of things and I got one and then we had kids and I, like, I was like, okay, now my only thing is I know how to live my life. I know how to be married. I know how to run a business. I know a lot of things not to do from failure. I know how to run, I was one business at one point and then I was two and then I had a kid. I'm like, oh, how do I run a business with one kid? Like, how do I manage this? And I had to give away, I had to give up stuff. Like we had to hire more people because I couldn't do the things I, I was supposed to. I was doing beforehand, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean, so I guess what I'm saying is delegation, but it's really not delegation, it's adapting to the circumstance, right? So now, which was the punch in the face and the, the kick to the growing, which was we had twins. <laughs> um, 
And and so we went, we went from one to three. I'm like, oh crap, this is that was really <laughs> hard. Now I really don't have time. So I have, I don't, I have enough money, but not. I have way less time than I have money. And it's not to say I have a lot of money. It's just I have literally no time to the point where I have to plan my poops. Right? When you, have, <laughs> when you have to plan your poop, that means you don't have enough time in life, right? And so really, it's it's it came it became all about hiring people, and it became all about. Um, really thinking about, again, going back to how I'm able to run multiple businesses is doing, picking the right things, right? So like, you know, measuring twice, doing one. So for example, I will come up with 15 variations of a marketing plan before I execute one of them, because I will work out some of the numbers. I will do the research on like, okay, I'm going to go invest in XYZ advertising platforms, right? YouTube, LinkedIn, Google ads, uh, whatever, Facebook ads. I'll go look at the CPCs, look at the competitors, look, try to understand the click-through rates and do the math of how much it's going to cost me for to acquire a customer. If some of them, most of them will not work out at that mathematical point at that on a spreadsheet. Therefore, I stopped doing it. It's the same thing for, you know, having kids in life. And with, with, that, with that, you have to be a little bit more like choose where you want to be present and where you want to be not absent, but like what you want. So I, my wife and I decided we're going to be active parents. Like, and we try to do crazy shit to try to be, teach them how to be entrepreneurs too. And like, I mean, their oldest one is two. So like we have a long ways <laughs> to go, but we, we try to be, spend time with them and, and teach them good values and all those things. And so, you know, but we have to choose like, okay, who's going to do morning duty? Is that morning duty? That means I can go to the gym or whatever. So I, I would say trying to exercise Trying to be healthy and exercise daily, eat eat healthy, run a business and have a family, that all is really hard. And it has to be, it really takes deliberate effort and conscious, like there's no like, there's no watching TV and hanging out in my life lately. Um, is that a bad thing or a good thing? Bad thing. Because hmm. what it really comes down to is like, there's not really downtime. There's only like doing stuff. And then there's, there is downtime. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a machine. I, but it's an hour. And three years ago, it was like four hours, five hours. So like my time has just kind of gotten a lot smaller, which has forced me to think about what do I want to do in that hour? Mm. Right. So like I used to watch a lot of TV and I used to, I mean, and I still read books because I'm an early riser and I just kind of read a book or like read a couple blog posts or watch a video or whatever. But now I'm like, no, I've got 30 minutes. What? What newsletter, what blog post, what are the things that, what am I going to tee up to read that day? So now I use Pocket. I use, um, I, I started using Kindle more and, and Audible. And I'm like, all right, here's the books I'm going to read for the next six months. That's it. Like that new stuff can come in. It might change the order, but like, I'm very deliberate. Like I'm going to learn these things this year. Um, so it requires a lot of planning and conscious effort. Dang. Wow. The Three kids. Wow. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, like I remember, I remember a few years ago, you had some sort of happy hour at, at some at whatever place yeah. downtown, and I remember you saying that you were planning on hiring yourself out. Yeah, and, and it sounds we, like you did that. Yeah, and so now I'm like a mailshake. I we just hired a VP of marketing. Um, now she's been there like maybe six weeks. Completely trust her already, so that's good. I'll be out of marketing day to day in like another month. But the role I'm in now is I'm going into his product. Um, I'm kind of serving as a VP of product and I'm, I'm 
giving myself six months to get the heck out of that role too. So hiring people that are smarter, better, more specialized is really what we do. As a founder, as like an entrepreneur, we're kind of good. I would say everyone's pretty good at kind of figuring shit out, right? I think the a human being can go from zero to learning something with just Google. Like I was, I remember when I was 18, 19 in college, this was in 19, this was in 2000, 2001. The internet, you know, fairly, fairly new-ish. And um, I just Googled how to surf. Literally, I just Googled how to surf. And then I went and bought a surfboard and I went on the water and I learned to surf, I don't know, like in three sessions by myself. That's, I could figure shit out, but I'll never be a pro surfer. That requires a lot of training. So I go into roles that like nobody wants to do or don't can't do, or, you know, maybe have a little bit of experience doing, or I can figure out by talking to five smart people, reading a book or two. Cool. And then last question, uh, what kind of dope ass cars do you have right now? Um, yeah, right now I've got a McLaren 600 LT. Uh, I've got a Tesla model three performance, which is really fast. That's what we lug around the kids in and a BMW M2. M2? Yeah. So it, what about motorcycles? Motorcycle. I actually just sold on the motorcycle. I had a bunch of them. Uh, I got in a crash a year and a half ago um, and was a at the racetrack. It was not even a minor thing. I was able to ride the same day. But what happened was a minor injury that I that got went unnoticed and caused a major problem. Um, so I had to get shoulder surgery and I'm still like seven months later recovering from I'm it. Sure with three young kids, that's probably not a ideal thing. The the fun on the investment is not there. So I look at FOI on a lot of these things, fun on investment. And it's just Ooh. like if, <laughs> right? And so it's just not worth the time and money. Um, and I realize I'm just never going to be Valentino Rossi. You references, he's a pro. I actually know yeah. who that is. I do so, watch motorcycle videos yeah. all the time. So <laughs> look, I think, and, and like I was actually, before COVID hit, I was good. And before we found out we were having twins, I was... I just got my amateur racing license to go do amateur racing this year. And I just, I was like, ouch, my shoulder hurts. And because I kept, I heard it and I kept working out. And that simple, small thing caused like a bunch of tears and like, you know, a year, year and a half recovery. Well, sweet, man. I mean, I think your life is actually like pretty inspiring. Like looking at it from, I mean, you're in it every day. So you probably don't think about it. Yeah. But I think like of a lot of people, there's certain people like Syed Belki. I, I was just like, I would like to be that guy. Yeah. Like, there's not many people who want to be like, yeah. yeah. It's just like, he makes a ton of money. People don't really, like he's known enough, but yeah. like he has no reason to flaunt or yeah. anything like that. He's actually like the real deal. Yeah. Has a good life, smiling all the time. Family. Yeah. yeah. It's awesome. There's a few people like that in the world and it's it's amazing. Sweet. Well, thanks for taking out time from your busy schedule. Um, if you want to schedule a poop later, that's, uh, <laughs> we, we, we can fit you, you in. Yeah. I've got one in, in the 30 <laughs> yeah. minutes. Schedule. Awesome. Sujan Patel, thank you so much. How can people find you, follow you, all that stuff? Uh, just head over to sujanpatel.com. Usually has what I'm doing, what I'm, what I figured out the hard way. All right. Sweet. Sujanpatel.com. Thanks everybody. Take care.